0: Hello everyone, this is Dr. Joel Rosen, the Adrenal Ninja on another edition of your Adrenal Fix. And I'm really excited to announce my, my good buddy and special guest, Dr. Robert Selig. Um, he's had a strong success rate with improving chronic illness in his private practice. Um, he deals with diseases and symptoms from um, uh, uh, people suffering around the world and he uses his, his real forte is hair tissue mineral analysis, which I'm gonna be able to pick his brain today about and as it relates to adrenals, but he's also had his own problems with copper toxicity, and now that's his, his real area of focus along with all the other um, chronic illnesses that you can help with um, tissue mineral analysis. So um, Dr. Robert, I'm really happy for you to be on the call. Thank you for being here today. Hey man, it's a pleasure. Looking forward to being here. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about your story. I mean, we all want to know
1: who's talking and a little bit about them and how you got into doing what you're doing. You know, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version without going into my complete medical history, but the first thing my mother told me, I was born jaundiced. Anytime a child, a baby is born jaundiced, you know, one of the main implicators in that is copper. And so I was copper toxic from the get go and I knew my mother's history and how copper and estrogen are intimately related. And so when you think of copper, think of all the oxygenase enzymes, you know, when you think of all the oxygenase enzymes, think of um, the cytochrome C, think of the, the tyranase making collagen. Uh, the dopamine, the serotonin, you know, all the neurotrans all the biogenic amines are tied into copper. And so when I was looking at my mother's history of copper toxicity, she had varicosities, periods from hell, and now she's played with Alzheimer's. So the culmination of all these things that she ignored is now playing out with the worst disease ever. So I inherited her copper toxicity in, your- in utero. So I was born copper and I've been played with copper my entire life. And so copper affects the bones because it affects the collagen synthesis. And with collagen, my bones were always a mess. I had pain in every bone in my body growing up. And so that's what prompted me to go into chiropractic. Chiropractic helped amazingly, but I didn't get to, to the root of my real problem until I dressed the copper toxicity. And that's where I've taken my health to the next level. So that's the skinny.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. So a couple of things in there. So how old were you when you kind of, the light bulb went off for copper when you were already in chiropractic college? Or? I was
1: already in chiropractic college when I started to do some independent research of why my joints were a mess, why, you know, all my bones. You know, I actually had a uh, filling in every tooth in my mouth by the time I was 10. So we know how copper is involved in fixing calcium to the bones and all the collagen. When you think of collagen, you know, what is it? Glycine, proline, hydroxyproline, those three amino acids, they have to be, they have to be, uh, you know, basically cross-linked for their connective tissue strength. So when you cross-link it, that's copper and vitamin C cross-links the three amino acids. So you can have integrity in The the collagen tissues. So, for example, if a vein is weak because the connective tissues aren't being cross linked because of a copper vitamin C toxicity and deficiency, then, you know, with the slightest provocation, you bruise easily. And that's one of the signs of a copper and a vitamin C toxicity. And so, That's, you know, it's really such an important part of our health and we have to get to the root of it because most of our anemias, when we think of anemia, we always think, oh, it's probably iron deficiency anemia or it's a pernicious anemia or or whatever, but most of the iron anemias are a copper related anemia because you need copper to take the ferrous into the ferric so it could be absorbed intelligently and that's a copper dependent process. So when we see behind all the anemias, it's the copper. Now there are some instances where it is an actual iron deficiency but most of the time it's a copper deficiency causing an iron anemia deficiency. So, okay. So
0: good. So we're going to boil this down because even I, as the guy who's, who's, you know, the, the nerd in, in on a second, you know, second nerd in a loving way in this conversation, and we want to boil it down to um, having people understand this. So let's start from the first thing, uh, Robert, in terms of, um, I think the listeners should understand what you said is you inherited that copper toxicity. Um, which really points to two main things. Number one, you inherited mom and dad's genetic, you know, their DNA, right? And and that codes for how the body makes energy and how it produces ATP and how it runs the systems mechanically and what some of your susceptibilities were for, um, for balancing transmitters and, and repairing your cells and fighting off infections and and, and regenerating, you know, um, hormones or neurotransmitters. So that's the one thing. And then the second thing is that people don't look at is that they inherit the parent's environment. We only think that we inherit um, genetics, but we in, we can inherit like an Epstein-Barr or we can inherit a copper toxicity. So let's start with that and then I'll make our way into iron metabolism and copper dysregulation. But how on earth would your mom have
1: been copper toxic? How does someone get copper toxic? You know, that's a great question. So The main one of the main reasons is that the the excretion of copper happens through the biliary system. So the gallbladder is our sound working? Can you hear me? We're good. Okay, I got you. Okay, Um, so when we have uh, liver stagnation and biliary stagnation, you can't excrete the copper as quickly as it's coming in. So then you hit critical mass of copper building up. And because copper loves oxygen, it's going to cause a lot of, uh, you know, basically it's going to cause a lot of oxygen damage in the body. And we know how profound that can be. So you got to have liver and biliary stasis. It's got to be not stasis flow. So the bile has to be flowing. The liver has to be flowing. And that's one of the big issues. The other big issue is the estrogens. So, my mom grew up in the era when birth control was uh, very popular and so she had a run with the birth control so all the synthetic estrogens are tightly associated with the metal copper and we know that in uh, from pregnancy when a woman is pregnant uh, you know estrogen goes up but the copper actually doubles when a woman is pregnant so we know how intimately. Re- intimately related copper and estrogen are. So even in a menstrual cycle, at the highest peak of estrogen, you know, let's say day 14, we'll say that's the highest peak when the woman is in, the, uh, in that phase of the cycle, at the highest peak of estrogen is the highest peak of copper. And so that copper, it has to come down so the estrogens can come down and it takes magnesium and zinc to help bring the copper down so when the copper comes down, then the progesterone cycle can kick in. But my mother, with her estrogen dominant syndrome from synthetic birth controls, from poor liver and biliary uh, lack of biliary flow, caused her to retain the copper, and so copper accumulates. I was the third child born, so each pregnancy, the copper timeline accumulated and wasn't being released because of her poor liver and bile health. That's the simple quick answer on that. Uh,
0: okay, so just to sum that up, basically there's a supply uh, and, 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 and demand, not demand, but a, um, a un, an unequal relationship between how much copper is um, being, um, I guess, building up in the body, and how much is releasing in the body, and that can happen exogenously from from top, you know copper exposures. Um, and and what what would be some of the things that we would be getting even if we weren't clearing out at the rate that we were getting, and we were not talking about
1: estrogen whatsoever? Where are we getting copper from the environment? Think about um, where we run our water through. It's mostly copper piping, so the copper piping, if you already have high copper and your water is running through the copper piping, that's another incident where we're going to be prone to more copper, because once uh-huh. we get it in the water, it, it bypasses digestion and goes right into the blood, and so that's, right. that could be a major problem. We spray all our crops with copper sulfate, and so we can have that problem. All the swimming pools are loaded with copper sulfate. You know, they use copper sulfate to uh, prevent the spread of athlete's foot because we know how important copper is in microbes, especially fungus and bacteria. In fact, the Bordeaux mixture was the very first pesticide ever used, and that was back in France to protect their billion-dollar crop, the grapes. So they used the Bordeaux mixture, which was copper, sulfur, and lime, not the fruit, but the lime. And so the copper, because of its sticky quality, would stick to the fungus, and then the lime and the sulfur would eat the fungus. So industry is loading up on copper sulfate on our crops, on our fruits, on our vegetables, in the swimming pools. So we're being exposed to copper sulfate from all that type of stuff. So we're being bombarded with copper right and left. And again, if the excretion doesn't equal, you know, if we can't eliminate as much as coming in, then we get the copper buildup. And copper, because of its plus one, plus two charge, Just like iron has a plus two, plus three charge. It makes those two minerals so volatile. That's why they have to be contained. They need chaperones and transporters. They just can't be floating around in the blood, nilly willy, because they will oxidize everything in its path. You know, and that's its gift and that's its curse because you need it to you need both, but it has to be in that right, you know, perfect balance. And that's the that's whole thing. Right. You just become a society of yeah. copper toxicity.
0: Right, right. So, okay. So then then on the other side of the equation, it, it's enough that the environmental exposure um, itself will create that high amounts of, uh, of um, buildup of, of copper. And then on top of that, you're talking about how biophysiology and I've had a couple other guests that talk about biophysiology and being able to detoxify and being able to eliminate your toxins. In this case, we're specifically talking about being able to remove copper um, so that that supply keeps and, you know, and and, um, getting rid of it and having it come in is in a nice state, but now we're talking about estrogen too. So estrogen with the other um, environmental synthetic um, uh, hormones and then on top of that, estrogen disruptors. So so as far as um, the, the, let's talk a little bit about that, because we did do a podcast before, and we weren't able to get too much into the estrogen of things. So um, as far as um, how, without getting too confusing with everyone, um, is is the estrogen related to um, not allowing the 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 bile to get uh, to remove the copper on top
1: of just the excess amount we're getting. Yeah, you know if if the estrogen stays high, that keeps the copper high. So if we're not excreting the estrogens out, you know, and we know there's a, a beta-glucuronidase marker on some lab tests that we can run, so that's always indicative of estrogen metabolism gone bad. I know you in the genetic world, you know, if you have a COMP T uh, uh, SNP and a few other SNPs in the genetic profile, you can't break down the estrogens, and if the estrogens build up that's going to keep the copper high wherever copper and estrogen go they dog each other they're intimately related and so with all the synthetic estrogens we see in our environment that's actually changing the sexes as we see we see You know, the boys turning into girls, the whole transgenderism, you know, and this is part, we have to look at the environment with all the fake estrogens. We've been loaded with these fake estrogens. And so if the estrogens stay high, the copper stays high and because of copper's uh, tendency to make bonds and break bonds and love of oxygen. And it's plus one, plus two valency. It just can wreak havoc on a biological system if we're not excreting the copper as it's coming in and the game changer was the fake estrogens that's tipped the scale where we just become a culture of estrogen dominance as we see every woman is almost estrogen dominant and we see the boys now becoming more feminized and it's not just in the human kingdom it's in the reptilian kingdom the animal kingdom we look at the studies from zoology biology we see that there is really a physical changing of the sexes right behind, you know, right in front of our eyes.
0: Yeah, so it comes down to the same problem, Robert, in terms of that liver health, right? I mean, in terms of flowing bile um, and removing the excess buildup from the perfect storm of both environmental overload from the copper crops and copper utilization for for what it's used for and and the estrogens as well and and we look at that too in terms of how well are our our enzymes clearing out these toxins so so as far as what you do with um, oh and then lastly just to to bring it all together um, the copper um, with the magnesium the zinc are necessary to bring down the estrogens along with the bioflow along with phase 1 and phase 2 liver function, and I would imagine gut health too. So what kind of role are you finding with copper in, in the gut health as it displaces some of the, the minerals and so forth with, with other chemicals in the environment? What, what's going on with the gut health there? Yeah, gut health
1: is huge because, like I said, we you, know, you need copper to deal with the bacteria and to deal with the fungus. You know, and that's why industry knows this. That's why they spray their crops with copper sulfate. And so, with all this copper, you know it, it's um, it's really changing the playing field. So we have to be astute to really know how important this copper is with gut health. So we're plagued with infections. We're loaded with infections, dental infections. Our gut is loaded with infections. So you need zinc for part of your immunity to activate white blood cells. So when you have a copper toxicity that's going to impede the zinc part of the white blood cells and you'll see in a lot of anemias you're going to see a lot of neutropenia you know a lot of low white blood cell count and that's because of the copper toxicity because copper you know when they give you an antibiotic one of the functions of the antibiotic is to mobilize the copper so it can help destroy the bacteria, because it, it sticks to it. It'll stick to the bacteria, and then it will change you know the structure on it, and it will ba- basically destroy the bacteria. If copper is in the right valence, and if it's bound properly, when it's single and free, then it behaves like a toxic metal. But the chronic infections, especially the yeast overload, you know, someone goes on a antibiotic because they have a urinary tract infection because of the high estrogens and then they have a urinary tract infection and then the doctor puts them on an antibiotic then what happens they're loaded with yeast and that candida overgrowth if you don't deal with the copper you're not going to get to the yeast and so that's how important copper is in helping to to keep the yeast and the bacteria in a good healthy level because it's going to kill them.
0: Right. So is what happens though, just playing like the sort of my, my ignorance here, if I'm loaded with copper, wouldn't that work in my favor to kill the overgrowth of candida because copper kills candida
1: or no? Yeah, that's the myopia in the world of minerals is we think that if we have a lot of copper, it's great. Copper has to be bound. So you know, so when it's bound, it can be transported to where it needs to be transported. If it's unbound, then it's gonna cling and stick to any place in the body, and that's where it's gonna oxidize it. So you gotta have copper, but it has to be bound. When it's unbound, that's the high elevated copper we see on a hair tissue test. We'll see high levels of copper, but that's unbound, single, and free copper, and that's when it behaves like a toxic metal, and that's when it becomes the Dr. Jekyll and the Mr. Hyde. So it has to be bound copper, and most of it's bound in the ceruloplasm, but that's not the only carrier of copper. There are many carriers, but most of it's bound in ceruloplasm.
0: Right. So, so just to sort of elaborate on that, if we have too much copper, there's only so much taxi cabs that are going to chaperone them around the body. Right. Basically, exactly.
1: that's, that's perfect. You know, yeah. you need the bus that's going to carry it to the right place, to the right cell, right. so it can fight this infection, so it can activate the macrophage, so it can, you know. Uh, basically disarm the bacteria or the yeast, because if you don't, then it's gonna overgrow and then you're gonna have a colonization of bacteria and fungus, and we know how that will wreak havoc on a biological system. Right.
0: And on top of that, create free radical collateral damage from all that unbound copper that's causing oxidation of other cells too. Right, Right. and that
1: oxidation of other cells is a player in so many of these diseases. Just as I alluded to earlier, my mother now is plagued with Alzheimer's. She never dealt with her copper toxicity. Remember I said copper is probably the stickiest metal of all the transitional metals, copper is the stickiest. And again, that's its gift and that's its curse because you need it to stick to oxygen and hold on to oxygen because it's involved in almost all your oxygenase enzymes, very important. But, again, it can oxidize everything in its path when it's unbound because it's going to cling and stick. It needs, it needs to be bound, and it will find something to bind to if it's not bound intelligently like it should be. Right. So, okay,
0: so then as far as – I mean, obviously, if I'm listening to this, like, what the heck do I do about this? But I want to get there in a second. But I want to, at this point – tie it back to my audience who are exhausted and burnt out dealing with all the stressors you just mentioned, but, you know, life stress and also blood sugar stress and, and multiple infections. And ultimately, they look at it, I try to explain to them, it's, it's a mitochondrial fatigue um, in terms of how the supply and demand of, of ATP and energy and minerals and utilization and, and replenishment is not equal and you have this storm, but how does the copper story relate to the adrenals specifically? Well,
1: that's a great question because again, when we think of copper, you gotta think the liver and you gotta think the adrenals. And those are the two main organs that really regulate copper metabolism in the body. So when the body wants to dump copper, you need the longevity hormone DHEA which 50% is made in the adrenals, 50% is made in the brain. And so the adrenal component is sending a signal to the liver to make, to dump the copper, to bind the copper to the ceruloplasmin. And that is an adrenal function. This is the importance of understanding the adrenals are critical. And so when we're making energy, and we know how important the adrenals and the whole cortisol and making energy is in the body. Um, just going from, you know, when we're creating a molecule of ATP, that's basically 22 steps going from glycolysis to the Krebs to the electron transport change. Out of those 22 steps, 12 out of those 22 steps require magnesium copper blocks magnesium because of its sticky nature. It can bully out the magnesium molecule and takes its place. And then it will inhibit that pathway of making energy. So we see a lot of fatigue and that's just one pathway. It's also involved in carnitine because when you're making carnitine, uh, you're gonna see copper can block vitamin C and iron. You need vitamin C and iron to to make the carnitine. And when you have a copper toxicity, it blocks because of its sticky nature, because of its valence, because it loves to donate electrons, and it can get in the way of a lot of these nutrient minerals by blocking it. And that's how we see it affect the adrenals very significantly. that's why we have to pick up the adrenals when we're dealing with copper toxicity that's an absolute must
0: yeah two questions that come out of that then are number one is there more of a specific mineral like is it mostly magnesium that it displaces or it displaces vitamin c or what are the different um the the minerals in the energy production cycles that it, it mostly displaces
1: Yeah, it's going to block uh, magnesium. It's going to antagonize zinc. It's going to antagonize molybdenum. So, so we see magnesium, zinc, molybdenum. Always see copper very antagonistic to it. A lot of the B vitamins, you know, it's going to be very antagonistic to the B vitamins. It will oxidize your vitamin C almost instantaneously. And you're gonna see copper and vitamin C are intimately related because they ping pong electrons off of each other. And if copper is, is in, a, in an unbound state, that's when it will oxidize the vitamin C and destroy it. So you gotta have the vitamin C, you gotta have the copper because they're ping ponging the electrons so they can finally donate the electrons. Remember in the very last step in the electron transport chain, as we go through all these iron sulfur clusters, in cytochrome 4, the final step before when the electron road meets oxygen copper is delivering the final electrons to the oxygen so you have an activated oxygen that binds to the phosphate and then that's your atp if copper is in excess it can kick out the magnesium because that atp must be bound to the magnesium molecule to make it work and copper is just can bully its way into the cell in that final step, kick out the magnesium, stick to that phosphate where the magnesium should be, and basically you have an ATP that's inactive because you've got to have that magnesium molecule and copper will get in there and basically disarm it. And basically that's part of why we see a lot of low energy, a lot of fatigue, and that's behind a lot of our chronic issues
0: yeah yeah so I mean, just summarizing that in in, in in easy terms it's comes down to when we don't have a good um, a good representation, not too little, not too much of our minerals and specifically copper, it's going to shut down your ability to make energy at the end of the day. that's what's going to happen. Absolutely. Um, as far as the DHEA connection, explain that to me. So the DHEA acts as a signal molecule or a, communica- a messenger to um, tell the liver to dump the copper?
1: Yep. It's, uh, DHEA we know is the longevity molecule. You know, when we know how important the adrenals are, and one of the main hormones that the adrenals make is DHEA. And anyone that studies longevity or wellness or health, we always come across DHEA because we know it's the longevity molecule. One of its properties is it sends the signal to the liver to mobilize the copper so it can be dumped or it sends the signal to the liver to bind the copper to the ceruloplasm then the liver can take it to where it needs to go. Because like I said, you just can't have copper in the blood because it has to be chaperoned and transported, it needs a bus system and a cab system and because of its volatility. And so the DHEA is absolutely responsible for binding it with the ceruloplasm and for dumping it through... The, a signal to release the stored copper in the liver so it can go out through the biliary system. So that's a huge, important connection in copper maintenance is through the adrenals, through the longevity hormone, DHEA.
0: Right, right, I was doing some research recently and um, they really don't like the term pregnenolone steel anymore because there's not like one major pool that feeds the different zones of the adrenal glands because every zone of the adrenal gland has a a different, um, different hormone that it releases. And so it's looked at in terms of there's more ACTH receptors in the entire gland than there are um, for DHEA. So you're going to have a lion's share of the signals, but ultimately what happens as a stress response, you see that when we're under chronic stress, um, cortisol typically goes up and then over time it goes down and, and DHEA will dance around with that, but ultimately DHEA when we're, you know, is really, really low. So over chronic stress periods and not so much a alone steel phenomena. Um, but the bottom line is, when DHEA is low like that, then I'm, I'm going to assume that now we're not binding and telling the liver to clear out copper, and now we're getting that extra excess, and it's mucking up all these biochemical pathways, and at the end of the day,
1: ATP generation is going to be impacted, right? We're going to have low, low energy. Absolutely. And there's a connection that I haven't looked too much into with DHEA, because we know ceruloplasm they also call ceruloplasm ferrooxidase, ferro- which carries the iron. It's the same thing, ceruloplasm fer- ferro oxidase, basically the same thing. It's carrying iron, carrying copper. So that DHEA to, the, to uh, dump the copper is also sending a signal to regulate the iron as well. Yeah. I have to look yeah, more do- into that. I haven't really dug more into it but that's just from common sense. So if ceruloplasm is carrying iron, it's also carrying the copper. And so we have to see that connection as well, because you need to bind that ceruloplasm to the copper to make that work. And that's part of the DHEA mechanism. And that's why it's such a special hormone. It's like truly amazing. And, you know, we have to appreciate it a little bit more, as we keep looking at the adrenals and say, "Wow, people have been talking about this forever," and now we start to see all the little connections. Really, it really is an all-star.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's hard to micromanage the body, right? I mean, in terms of the body's not necessarily doing the wrong thing; it's doing the right thing with the wrong circumstances, right? And and sometimes you don't want to um, try to come and steamroll the appropriate response for the inappropriate you know, a signals and you want to try to get upstream to the inappropriate signals or the, the, the pathology that's happening up
1: there versus just coming in and steamrolling things. Does that make sense? Sure, because we call that an adaptation. The body adapts to the stresses of life. Hans Soleil, one of the most preeminent endocrinologists, wrote the book, The Stress of Life, and he mapped out the stresses of life and how the body adapts to the stresses. Those stresses are our symptoms, so the body is adapting so it can prolong our life, but at the cost of something becoming weak, and that's our symptom. So the adaptation principle is a very important thing, and as we release the metals intelligently through through picking up the adrenals, through getting biliary patency, we start to have more of an understanding how we have to remove these toxic metals intelligently. We don't want to force something out when the body isn't ready, then you're going to have a real aggravation, you know, and that's why people quit the program because they get too aggressive. If you're not picking up the adrenals working on cleaning out the liver and the biliary channels while you're trying to remove the metals. It all has to be done intelligently. And sometimes you got to give a patient a break. You have to take a time out when it's overwhelming. When you're going through a copper dump, that can be uh, one of the most craziest experiences that anyone will experience. Because like I said, that's your dopamine, your serotonin, your adrenaline, all the biogenic amines, your you know, monoamine oxidases, your diamine oxidase enzymes. So if you're dumping that out too quickly, you're going to activate those things and you're not going to feel good. So that's why we have to look at it holistically and work on the liver, work on the adrenals, heal the gut while we're coming in with the nutrient minerals, while we're working on, you know, dumping these metals out. So there is body intelligence we always have to respect.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, okay. So let's say that I'm, you know, here we are, I I come from a parent that has a little more copper that they're giving to me along with some of the genetic susceptibilities. Um, And then on top of that, um, the environment has it everywhere I turn around. And then on top of that, I'm not flowing my bile very well. And I'm under a lot of stress and my liver and my gut health and my amalgams and so forth. So you come along and, and 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 so we do hair samples. And I guess what would be the abbreviated um ba- the abbreviated information on how that gives
1: us insight, you know, in sure. terms of what, yeah, you know, on a hair tissue analysis, we can see basically more or less a hidden copper toxicity. We usually don't see an overt in your face copper toxicity. Every now and then we do. We see copper really high. You know, Anything that's above 2.5, we get into 3, the 4, the 10, the 20, we know you're copper toxic. But most have low copper and they think that low copper, they're just deficient. But in that deficiency, the copper hasn't been mobilized yet. It's still in the tissues, organs, and glands. The bones, the brain, the liver, the you know, the kidneys, the adrenals. And so once it starts to get released, then you're going to see the tissue copper on the hair analysis go up. But the first sign we see on a hidden copper toxicity, you're going to see low sodium, low potassium. Whenever you see low sodium, low potassium with the high calcium, high magnesium, that's slow oxidation, very, very indicative of a copper toxicity. And that's one of the real clues that we look at. There's many other clues. We have to look at the calcium-potassium ratio. We have to look at the zinc-copper ratio. We have to look at the molybdenum-copper ratio. So we start to look at all these ratios and then we know, wow, that's a a hidden copper toxicity. Then people think you're crazy. Then after about a year of putting them on a program, that low copper now is a 10, a 15, a 20. They started to mobilize the copper out. and When that copper's coming out, that's a home run. You've just removed your Alzheimer's. You've just removed your cancer. you just removed your degenerative joint diseases and all your collagen diseases. So when we start to see that copper being mobilized out when you've been on a plan, that is a home run and that takes time. Again, you can't do that overnight or it's going to be too overwhelming for the patient. So the hair tissue analysis shows us point blank hidden copper toxicity when we know the markers to look for.
0: Right. It's really interesting because that's where the the ninja styles come in, right? Where you're, you know, like you're really into, like, I get what you're saying there, Robert, in terms of, you know, I've, I've heard the analogy, or the, the trick question, if you did a study of, say, hair analysis, I don't know, you know, and you looked and you had a demographic of, of kids that had, um, you know, let's say they were, um, I guess, um, autistic kids, and you looked at the hair sample of kids that didn't have autism, You know which would have the more hair sample, more metals in their hair, and and the ones that um, have um, the autism would have less metal on their hair, right? Because in a lot of ways, because
1: they're not dumping, they're not dumping it, right? Right. It's going to be hidden. It's in it's in the wrong place. And then we start focusing on the detox and the nutrients and you know all the things we got to do. Then on you know, three months later, we run another hair tissue, you're going to say, ooh, copper went up, mercury went up, aluminum went up, and we know we're starting to actively dump a metal. We don't actually know the pecking order of which metal is going to come out because that's the body intelligence. And so that we don't know, but we can predict when the body's going to start to dump a metal because the adrenal reserves have to pick up. When the adrenals start to pick up, You're going to start to have the energy to start dumping these metals because it takes a lot of energy to dump metals, and you know you just can't, like I said, put mercury in the blood and nilly willy. You're fine. It has to be bound in the right protein carrier, has to go through the right channels, and then it can be eliminated through the sweat, through the through the stool, you know, uh, through the bile, and that's how we really start to get these metals out. But it has to be done intelligently.
0: Sure. So okay. So so you have the phenomena of just because it's not on, and that's an important message to the listeners: is whether it's a saliva, a blood, a urine, a hair. Just because it's not on the marker doesn't mean it's not in the body, right? I mean that's a big one because if you're not dumping, or you you know there's for filtration issues or clearance issues, then you're gonna get a false negative test. Um, but with the understanding that Um, There could be a, there's a, you know, where we look at these ratios of minerals, um, and we know how, if you're a slow oxidizer, or you're a fast oxidizer, we we have a game plan. So without getting too complex, um, how how does one mobilize a game plan? Is it more of just um, getting specific nutrients, or is it You know a little a little bit of everything between making sure you're giving those adrenals a little extra firepower plus making sure that you're supporting the gut health and stabilizing glucose and then making sure that you know what would you do with the minerals i'm kind of
1: curious on that yeah i prescribe the minerals based on the hair tissue you know basically it's the big four calcium magnesium sodium potassium because all the other trace elements are supporting the big four and so we see where the big four is going. So that that allows us to prescribe how much zinc or how much copper to give based on sodium and potassium. And so we know the synergistic and antagonistic effects of zinc and copper to sodium and potassium. So the hair tissue allows us to say we need 30 milligrams of zinc, maybe two milligrams of copper. You know, X amount of you know calcium and magnesium and selenium and maybe rubinium if potassium is really low so we have a lot of tricks to really start to get the nutrients online but it's based on you know biochemical individuality so we don't have a cookie cutter approach it's based on your hair tissue this is where you're at you're in slow oxidation we got to pick up we have to pick up those adrenals so we we're going to come in with the magnesium the calcium the selenium the iodine you know all the the minerals to help do it, but it's based on your hair tissue on how many milligrams of this particular mineral or that particular mineral or vitamin. So again, there's it's not nothing is just nilly willy. Take this. We use the lab test to really design plans. You know, even on an organic acid test, you can look at an organic acid test. If you see high arabinose, high oxalates, you know they're infested with yeast. And part of that yeast, that right there is telling me we have a copper toxicity problem behind the oxalates, behind the yeast. And so that's another clue that we get. And so as we're looking at an organic acid test or a GI map test, we start to get a real feel where you know the chronicity is coming from in these children because they're being born very toxic. And so we as doctors have to do our job to make sure that we get these kids to a better place where they can you know, handle diets that are more doable, do detoxes that are doable for a kid, take nutrients that are doable for a kid. Because kids are very finicky and you know, picky about what they're doing. You know, Their attention span is that of two minutes. So we have to work with the kid. And so again, it's, it's, it's biochemical individuality at, at, is really at the key to this.
0: Right. So again, so basically we look at those big four, uh, those minerals in the hair, calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium, and then you can manipulate based on those ratios, um, the ratios of zinc and and copper to help displace uh, certain things in certain orders. Um, But on top of that, um, you're also um, looking at gut microbes to confirm what, what also you know. As far as the organic acid test, is, if I'm, I'm right to see, like I see this all the time with those high yeast and candida markers and high oxalates with the co- copper toxicity, I wasn't necessarily putting a lot of the connections together with that. but um, So if there's copper excess from everything we've talked about up until now, you're not getting rid of, of it at a, at a rate that you're getting it in your body and coupled with estrogen and toxins and lack of bioflow, um, and then um, on top of that, you have unpaired um, copper that isn't being bound to anything. So now it's um, not being transported to these microbes and, and candida and yeast can grow rampant because you don't have the bound copper to take care of it. Is that, is that correct?
1: Yeah. In a simple nutshell, that is correct. You know, when we think of the high oxalates, you know, we're going, when we're trying to break down the oxalate and we're going through the pathway, what vitamin is always needed when we're dealing with the oxalates? We think of B6, and we think of magnesium, and we know copper is antagonistic to B6, we know copper is antagonistic to magnesium. So with the oxalates, that's giving us more clue of this copper toxicity, when we start connecting the dots, how copper blocks B6, how copper blocks magnesium.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's a domino effect. And, you know, for the listener who doesn't necessarily work with the provider, it does become overwhelming, right? Because how do I, how do I know all this? And, you know, hair tests aren't, aren't, I mean, aren't super expensive at all. Um, And, and as far as um, the basics, I always call the boring basics, right? Like controlling stress and mindset and oxygenation of your cells and making sure that you're you're getting good quality nutrients, right, that are coming from the earth. Um, As far as um, for you, like with the adrenals, what would be like one of the, your, like your go-to nutrients that would help bring up the adrenals if you're trying to raise energy on a slow oxidizer?
1: Yeah, it's raising sodium and potassium because sodium is mostly an aldosterone response. Potassium is mostly a cortisol response. So, aldosterone is pro-inflammatory cortisol is anti-inflammatory so when you have when you're under oxidative stress or some inflammation uh aldosterone skyrockets that means sodium will go high to put out the fire potassium cortisol comes in kicks in and that will bring down the fire Uh, and then we start to see this pattern stress the sodium goes high the aldosterone goes high then the potassium cortisol has to keep putting it down eventually the adrenals burn out and you can't mount an immune response and then we see low sodium low potassium because the body just has been depleted so we always have to pick up sodium and potassium because that's the hallmark of adrenal burnout and that adrenal burnout is so prevalent i'm seeing everyone with low potassium you know on a hair tissue test i'm seeing children with potassium at four three two one i'm seeing adults with potassium at four three two one that's burnout that's you know a a month in the bahamas ain't gonna fix that you need to really replenish the adrenals and to replenish the adrenals we have to focus on getting the right nutrients to influence sodium and potassium and that's where we look at the trace elements of copper zinc molybdenum selenium iodine in conjunction with calcium magnesium and a good potassium uh, adrenal support type of remedies and vitamin c becomes very critical we know vitamin c the adrenals love vitamin c um and that vitamin C and copper are so related to each other. Like I said, they ping pong the electrons of each off of each other. That's why they're involved in so many of the oxygenase enzymes. So, so
0: you could like, would it be safe to say if they get a really good mineral blend that has those trace elements and that has the um, the the sodium and potassium and and molybdenum and copper and is that is there something out there that they can get like that that's going to be a, a general without I mean without knowing specifics that's going to be supportive
1: um, I don't usually like to give just uh, a, a multi of sorts because again you know we have to know how zinc can raise potassium lower sodium how manganese can raise sodium, lower potassium. So we got to know the dance, what each mineral does. So there's times if we have too much sodium, uh, we're going to need a little bit more zinc. And we may have to come in with 50 milligrams of zinc. Um, If the sodium is really low, we got to pick up that sodium. So we may come in with 30 milligrams of manganese to help raise the sodium. So there's this dance that has to be done so I don't really generally like to give you know formulas of you know here take this multi of this Um, in some instances that can work but that's why I love biochemical individuality so we're really honing in on what the, the biochemistry needs for this window of time based on you know, the lab tests that we're running, specifically the hair tissue analysis. So we know, cause you can go from fast oxidation to slow oxidation on a dime. When you start dumping a metal, that's gonna put stress on the kidneys, that's gonna cause you to go into fast oxidation, then we have to change the program. And that's why we do serial hair tissue analysis so we can always adjust to what's going on, whether we're dumping a metal, whether we're dealing with die off, whether we're just in a depleted state. So we're always balancing. There's the cosmic dance that has to be done with mineral balancing.
0: Yeah, it,
1: it really does. I mean, I,
0: I do agree with you in a lot of ways. You know, when someone asks me what's the best nutrient for the adrenals, I very seldom will give a recommendation just for the adrenals, right? Because there's so many other things. Um, how often do you, um, do you look at um, urine pH to look at, um, get a, a, an idea of what's going on in the body's, um, in the body's biochemistry, Robert?
1: You mean where we actually have patients check their urine to see how acidic they are? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I don't do that too often personally, but I know a lot of docs that utilize it, and it is a tool that can be very beneficial when we utilize it properly. I just haven't honed in on it. I'm doing too many things. It's, it's hard to be an expert in everything. You uh, have no, to I'm stick not- to what yeah. you're good at because, you know, the over – I mean, there's so much information. And so I'm just yeah. trying to zone in on what I feel I'm confident at and yeah. stick to it. You know, so I haven't really done the urinary uh, pH. I think it would
0: be interesting to, as the mad scientist, you know, you can mix your chocolate with my peanut butter and we can start to see some crazy, you know, relationships between, you know, uh, hey, pH when he's dumping goes back low again or, you know, it becomes super alkaline. I mean, I'm sure you would see some kind of connections, but I really recommend it for the people I work with just because, i'm such a huge you know prl bob marshall dr marshall fan and i do think that having that information of how much oxygenation is is in your your cells and that's a good quick marker in terms of ph and how you know krebs cycle would be working or electron transport chain would be working because if you're acidic um, and of course if you're if you're super alkaline and and you're you know producing ammonia you'll see those outliers and 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 start to make concrete changes and then retest and it kind of is an accountability marker for people to see when they start eating better they get in a better range of oxygenation of their cells so it's it's a a, but i get what you mean in terms of there's just so much already variables that you're trying to pay attention to it's adding another one in there um as far as um your uh, with with you, your private practice, so you're seeing patients all over the world?
1: Or are you seeing people mostly where you are? How do you work with people? Well, I have my local practice right here in Chicago, so I have that going on. Then I have my distant patient program, and I really start seeing patients from all over the world because communication breakdown getting them nutrients becomes you got to deal with taxes you got to deal with time zones it becomes a little too hard so i'm just really focusing on sticking to in the country you know so that's been my focus really chicago and the rest of the the country for my distant patients and that's been working pretty well i just kind of i was doing the whole world but it was too overwhelming <laughs> yeah i could see that i mean
0: i have patients all over as well robert but i'm not as um specific with the individual minerals and looking at the algorithm of this displacing that and if you have too little of this and too much of that then i could see how that would already be a nightmare trying to get them the easy supplements you know versus you know getting the hard supplements and the ratios that you want that i could see that so what what is your um, contact if I was interested in finding out about you? What's your website or how would I contact you?
1: You know, my main website is Back to Natural Health. And then my, from my distant program, it's nevergetsick.net. So they can reach me either or, and that's a way where, you know, once I get, you know, their health intake form, then my wife will call the patient and discuss our protocols. And so she kind of screens the patient for me. And then if we feel like we can work together, then my wife will set up an appointment for the patient to talk to me. And then once the patient talks to me, I make the decision that, yeah, I think we can work together. Then I'll put together a care plan, mail the patient off a care plan. Then they have seven days to accept it or deny it. And um, we take it from there. So that's cool. really how I work. It's pretty simple. It's like, don't, you know, I'm, I'm a straight shooter. It's like, I'm not throwing in, you know, no hidden agenda. It's just like I'm going to give full, you know, basically letting you know exactly what the cost of the plan is, approximately how much I think you're going to be spending in nutrients. That varies a little bit. That's hard to nail to a T, but I give you ballparks and how much it is for my management fee during the period we have worked together. So there's no secrets, no hidden agenda. It's pretty straightforward
0: yeah I like the the vetting process with your wife that's great she's though you know in terms of uh, figuring out who makes it past the in the front door um, i've gotten to that point now too where I do a lot of that myself, and um, I, I guess you and I are past that point of wanting to, you know, get someone healthier more than they want to get healthy. I mean, I'll try just as hard and I'll, I'll put, you know, all my effort into it. But if it's like, you know, they're kicking and screaming as you throw them a lifeline, it's like, I, I just don't, I'm sure you don't do it either. And I, would, I guess I would ask you, like, these are the type of questions I try to ask all my guests is, you know, given your knowledge now um, and all the stressors and health concerns that you've had in your life, um, what do you think like, are the, the top recommendations for if we look at it in terms of um, adrenal health or just stress health and the best way to, um, to, to, to secure the body for acting its, its healthiest? What, what, have you, what are your pearls of wisdom that you would share with our audience to, to help your stress mechanism function at all cylinders? You know, I,
1: I, I tend to look at it that every illness, disease is a blessing you know, because it's giving us ample opportunity to say, we've got to change something, something's not working. So when we start to grow a tumor, or a fibroid, a cyst, or a cancer, that's your body telling you something is off. So we have to look at that as a gift, not as an enemy. And then once we see the beauty of really, um, wow, I have a chance to reverse engineer 20 years, 30 years, 40 years of toxicity, you know, from living in this toxic world, so it's really, it's, it's the right attitude. So we have to approach this that, man, this is a journey. It's a healing journey. There are no quick fixes. There are no magic silver bullets. It takes, like you said, the patient has to want to get better a little bit more than I want them to get better. They have to have the right attitude. They have to be willing to do whatever it takes to get healthy. If I say you got to do coffee enemas, You got to do coffee enemas if i say you got to hit the infrared sauna you got to hit the infrared sauna if i say you got to do some qigong exercises you got to do it when patients say i'm not doing any of that i don't take you i can only work with the patients that look at their body and say yep i'm i'm in a you know i'm in a pickle how am i going to get out of this pickle all i need is some guidance and that's what you and I we offer counsel and guidance, and no one should do this alone. You know, it's taken you and I many, many years of knowledge of just understanding how this body works, how the biochemistry works. So I always encourage people to to get counsel and guidance on your healing journey. And healing's between we heal nothing. Healing's between you and God. We're guiding you. We're cutting through the bullshit. We're cutting through. You know the quick fixes, and we're showing man, healing is the greatest gift if we listen to our bodies, make the necessary changes. Maybe we got to clean up a diet, maybe we got to uh, leave this toxic relationship, maybe we have to move from you know, we're, we're living on the highway, maybe we have to make a move. So, there's many factors, but I want people to say that illness is a gift if we look at it the right way because we have the ability to reverse engineer it, to change it, so we can start living the life that we were meant to live, and that's why I say health is the greatest wealth.
0: Yeah, it's, it's you know, and I I talk a lot about that, Robert, in terms of, you know, you have a choice to be miserable, or you have a choice to, to be happy, and you have a choice to, you know, have thoughts that are going to help you or you're gonna have thoughts that are are gonna hurt you and you know when you're when you're given an illness it's very easy and, and natural and you're justified to feel this world's not fair why did it happen to me it, you know it is i can't believe this and you know at the end of the day you got to get to business and uh and you're right you know it, it how you interpret that um stressor and that adversity um and how you envision and and align your, your cells and your frequency and your system and your glands and your tissues um, to be synergistic and coherent um, starts with the proper mindset of how you interpret, okay, what am I, what are we, you know, what are we going to do about this? And I think that's a huge, huge lesson that a lot of people don't get at the end of a supplement bottle, right? They just don't. And so, um, hey, Robert, I want to thank you so much for being here. So, mention your websites again, just one more time.
1: Sure. Back to NaturalHealth and NeverGetSick.net.
0: There you go. And um, and you know, I enjoyed this. I always. Next time we part three, and I'll make the link to part two down somewhere or part one. Um, but part three, I'd like to talk about. Um, The whole iron metabolism, um, ferritin, I saw a recent Mercola interview about how there's just the, the, the medical establishment is so confused like they were in the days of vitamin D. Um, on what acceptable ferritin levels are. I've always, you know, heard a little bit of debate on some of those uh, Fenton reactions and, and, and iron excess and, and iron overload and, and not enough iron and how that we relate to copper and everything we talked about. Is that something you'd be comfortable talking about in part
1: three? Would absolutely love to talk about it because when we really look at it, you know, you know men are from Mars, which is iron, women are from Venus, which is copper. It's the age-old dialect of the masculine energy versus the feminine energy. One isn't better than the other. They have to be in balance. And so we're going to look at the biochemistry of iron and copper and how intimately they're related. And that's where I would love to talk about that. That would be very exciting to me. It's good. I'd like to really
0: talk about that. I say kind of in a selfish way, I do this for myself so I can learn from all my colleagues. And then, oh, yeah, and by the way, I can – Help all the listeners too, but no, I, I joke around. It's like I, I can I can learn by helping the listeners, um, you know, with this information, but also have a couple more tools in the toolkit. So, Robert, thank you so much for spending t- the time with me. I appreciate all your knowledge and insights, and and your dedication to help um, the unheard and the people that are um, suffering and the people, uh, it's nice to have, as we you know talked about this in the beginning, our parents don't necessarily listen to us, but it's nice to have patients that, who do, right? I mean, it's nice that that works out that way. And I wish you the best. I hope you have an awesome um, 2019 with a happy, healthy, um, you know, family and life and, and successful business life too. So I wish you all the
1: best and thank you so much for being here. Joel, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me as your guest.
0: All right. Have a
1: great night, Robert. You too. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested to see if you're a good fit to work with our Adrenal Awakening program, here's what to do next. Head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak to our team. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly do you want to be with your health and where are you now? Number two, what are the genetic components that haven't been discovered that are impacting your health? And number three, what are the environmental triggers that may be overlapping with these genetic components keeping you from getting optimal health? Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make that happen. We've helped clients all over the world, transform their lives, quadruple their energy, and fix their metabolism, and make the world a better place. To see if you can do the same thing, head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply. I'm Dr. Richard Joel Rosen, and we'll talk to you soon.